is not an easy transition. It is not. So it took me some time to figure that out. I got into real estate a little bit. I got into all these different things that I was just trying to do something to justify me being at home. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Post Game Podcast. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. The Post Game Podcast was designed to raise awareness of the experiences, the challenges, the successes, and the failures found in the transition out of sport. We all go through it. And at some point, there's no better way to prepare for it than to hear from those who have navigated the path. The show is real. We aren't here to glorify the transition. We're here to normalize it. We have guests from all sports with experiences at various levels. College, pro, minors, majors, NFL, NBA, NHL, overseas, and they're all at different stages in their professional growth. I've got CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who are only a few years into their careers, and I also have guests who are still playing and preparing for the next steps. I can only hope that by hearing from the experiences of those who have lived it, we can help current athletes prepare better. Those who are going through it reflect on their approach and at a minimum, provide some great entertainment. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you you taking the time to do this. We know each other through a mutual connection, Jamal Weeks, one of my closest friends. He was another former podcast guest, and we've never met before. This is the first time we met, so I'm, I'm excited to do it. I wish it was in person. I, I will not travel in this weather to come see you, though, and I hope that you're okay with that. <laughs> no, that's cool with me. It's cool with me. No, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course, man. So let's get right into it. Former Major League Baseball player. Actually had a son who was a first-round draft pick as well. Must be insanely yeah. proud. What about your parents, your family? Do you come from just like a genetic, genetically freaky bloodline, or how does that work? Not really. My dad was in the sports. He played, you know, football, played some basketball, and a little bit of baseball. He was just a fanatic. He played a little bit in college, not really at a high level. But he loved the game. My mom grew up, you know, playing, you know, pick up ball, playing softball. So she was athletic too. But, you know, not to the extent you know, where I've gotten to as a pro. But they loved the game. They loved sports. So I was always around it. My dad was a guy who, you know, organized all the pickup games in the neighborhood and, you know, was coaching all the kids in the neighborhood. And I just was around it. He was, he was super intense because he loved it. And I just grabbed it, man, and, and fell in love with the game. Where did you grow up? What what city, state? Yeah, I'm from Chicago, south side of Chicago. Grew up, born and raised there. I was there the majority of my life. Just recently moved from there to Georgia a few years ago. So Chi-Town is home. South side of Chicago. I mean, regardless of where you're from in the United States, you know that's not an easy place to grow up. What was that like, man? Tell me about that dynamic. Yeah, that's... That was tough. It was a tough upbringing. But of course, when you're growing up and you, you're in it, you, you, you kind of don't understand how difficult it is because you just you're just born in it and you, you learn how to maneuver through it. You know, but, you know, looking back, you know, growing up, low income housing, I think a neighborhood, two neighborhoods over was the projects. The area that I grew up in was Roseland. They call it the wild hundreds. They call it the wild hundreds because it's like a jungle. You never know what may happen on any given day. It can be, you know, gang shootings. You can get robbed, you drugs, you know, in the area. It's just all type of things that's going on around you that can just kind of derail you and, you know, take you off track. 
Um, but, you know, the neighborhood that I grew up in was kind of like a safe haven. It was all around us, but it was like a tight-knit community, you know, where we played sports to keep ourselves busy. We played, you know, baseball when it was baseball season, football when it was football season, basketball when it was basketball season. And that's what kind of kept me focused and kind of out of the, the uh, you know, the distractions that was going, around, uh, going on around me. But as I grew older, you know, aside, you know, traveling to school, I had to take two buses and a train to get to school. I went to Chicago Vocational High School, which was on the south side of Chicago also. But, you know, just getting to school each and every day, you know, you're ducking and dodging all type of, you know, things that, you know, gangs that might want to try to jump you or somebody that may rob you or somebody that may be, you know, you know, a gang war that may be going on. And, you know, so at a, a young age, you learn to read body language and you learn to, 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 to recognize things way before it happened and you try to avoid it. And that's what I did. I mean, that's real street smarts. And I, I mean, am I, am I right? I mean, that's, it's kind of, it's survival. You have to learn those instincts and those tells to be able to make it day to day. And I'm not talking from experience. I mean, I'm from Virginia, middle, middle-class family. And I mean, I do feel like, you know, especially in today's world with Instagram and all sorts of social media, like there's all this emphasis put on self-made and never not working. And I did this myself. I did this myself, like to an extent, but I didn't come from the South side of Chicago. I didn't have to overcome any of that. Like I had to, like my, my parents, you know, made sure I got good grades and there was always an emphasis on school. And like, I had a, I had a hitting coach and they flew me all over the country to play baseball. Like, can I sit here and say I'm a self-made man? Like not to that, not even close to that level, you know, like, dude, yeah. I, had, I had some advantages, man. And I, like, I don't like, I feel guilty or, you know, like, like undeserving of saying that I'm self-made in any way when you hear stories like, like you. And I mean, tell me about the culture. So on a daily basis, cause I mean, I can, I can get up now. I'm sure you can too. And you don't have to worry about too much. Like there's things on an agenda to do, right. but you're not actually worried about how to get from point A to point B, let alone set and achieve milestones and goals. You right, talk about right. taking two buses to get from point A to point B and ducking and dodging gangs. And you're, you know, seeing people get murdered or, you know, I don't think you yeah. said murder. I think I, I made that up, but I'm sure you did. What does that do for your psyche when it actually comes to sports? Yeah, you know, believe it or not, that helped me. Just the in instincts, like you said, I had I had impeccable instincts. You know, I, I was able to, you know, read things before they happened. I was able to recognize when somebody was in my corner that was for me. You know, I was able to recognize when people wasn't in my corner and recognize those things very quickly. Cause as you know, as you, when you're playing baseball, you need to know all these things. You need to understand all these things. It's just like being a scout. So the streets kind of taught me that, not that I hung out in the streets, but I had to deal deal with the, the streets in Chicago, just, just kind of going through my everyday life. And, you know, just, just making sure I made it home safely or I, I stayed away from the, you know, the, 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 wrong, the wrong people. You know, in my life, it was just about, you know, we focused day to day. You know, we, it was hard to plan long term because you just wanted to make sure that you ate that day. 
that you stayed out of trouble and you, you took care of the business that you needed to take care of. And, you know, as I started playing baseball, those things that I had to deal with as, on a daily basis as a kid helped me maneuver through the minor leagues, helped me get to the major leagues. And just having that sense of urgency, that sense of, you know, let me stay focused helped me, you know, throughout my career. So before we get to, I mean, you're already jumping ahead to the major leagues. You got to, you got to bring it back. We got a whole story to tell. <laughs> gotcha. But you're talking about the baseball, but I, I really want to know, like, did you have any influences in your life who just kept you on track or were there any events like triggering events where you knew like you couldn't go down that road or you idolized a certain person or you saw that sports is a path to get out? Talk to me about that. Yeah, like I said, my dad was a, was a fanatic. You know, he was he was in my life. He was a he was a Vietnam veteran, so he he dealt with alcoholism a little bit. So he was in my life, but that was kind of affecting him big time. But you know, he he when he was focused and locked in, we were we were practicing, we were you know playing the game, we were talking about you know positive things as well as my mom. They kept me they kept me grounded. They kept me as focused as I needed to be. And then just just playing the game each and every day and, you know, watching the game on TV. I, I was a big Cubs fan. I watched the Cubs. They came on WGN as a kid. I was I was into that. I was, you know, into, you know, I was a fan of the Cubs because that, that's what we was able to see each and every day. So being able to watch that and me fall in love with sports, that helped me stay focused because, I you know, I wanted I wanted to get out of my situation. I wanted to be the one who figured out how to, you know, get out of the situation because I knew that that's not any way that, you know, I should be living. And so you say you wanted to be the one. Was there anybody in your community who had set the precedent for that? Or was it really just you? You were going to be the first guy who was able to get out and kind of set this example for everyone else in the community? Wasn't anybody who did it really big. You know, it was, you know, it was guys in the community that, that went to high school and had really good high school careers that we all knew about. And, you know, as a young kid, that inspires you. You know, you want to go to school and, you know, be the man in high school and stuff like that. So it was older guys that, you know, came out of the neighborhood and did big things in high school, but not to a extent where they, you know, went pro or, or even, even big time college. So I guess I was the first, so to speak. I guess, I mean, I can't relate at that level, but for me, in growing up in my adolescence, like you start playing baseball because it's fun and your friends are doing it. I never really looked at it as a way out of anything. I looked at it because all my friends were playing and I wanted to play what they were playing. So we started playing, all my friends were playing soccer at a point and I was pretty good at soccer. And then I remember we moved to the big field in the first game on the big field. I was like, listen, I don't have endurance. Like my hands were on my knees. I was like, I'm not doing this big field thing. It's not interesting to me anymore. I got friends that are playing baseball. Let me go and do that. And so I started baseball a little bit late. And then there's a point when you're growing up and you're playing where you just get good. And then it feels good to be good. And then you don't really know when you're younger, what that could lead to in terms of a career financially or socially, or from a cultural aspect, you just like being good. So you do whatever you can to continue being good at it. Right. right. And right. so for us, I'm sitting here talking like I'm at the same level of athletics. So just, just nod and say, and say yes, but <laughs> I act like it's totally normal. But when you have an affinity for, for athletics, you just, you surround yourself with it. You're, you're lifting weights or you're running sprints or you're, you know, playing catch with your dad or, or, or your friends. 
no different than if you have an affinity for math. You do more math problems. I didn't. I don't know if, if you did. <laughs> but then there's a point where you start to recognize the accolades that come with it. And there's a path that you can ride this journey on. And mm -hmm. that can lead somewhere. So I remember for me, when I got to high school, I remember before I, I went to Bishop O'Connell High School. Again, didn't come from the south side of Chicago by any means. Yeah. And I went, to, I'm Jewish technically, but I went, to a, I went to a Catholic school just for sports. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, I sat on the hill and watched a varsity baseball game at O'Connell High School with my dad. And I was like, my dream is to play varsity high school baseball here. And I, I looked at the center fielder and I was like, that's who I want to be. This guy's playing varsity high school baseball. And that was it. I didn't think beyond that point. Right. And then you get there and then you start having more success than you thought you were going to have. And you're like, oh man, okay, where does this go? And again, for me, it was like George Mason University was the university where anyone who was ever good in my town went. And that was it. That's where I wanted to go. And then you start recognizing that you can do better than that. You're like, okay, well, what's better than that? <laughs> and then you realize the sky's kind of the limit. So mm -hmm. for you, since there were no examples in your community, was there a point in time when you recognized you may be able to take this to a level no one's ever seen before? And did you identify a mentor? Did you surround yourself with people who guided you? Or did you just kind of haphazardly pave the way and end up getting drafted? How did that work? So it was a kind of twisty road, right? Because I hadn't, I wasn't around guys who, who had done it before me, wasn't in that crowd. I was just kind of, you know, on my own, just looking for inspiration and different things like that. So the way I picked the high school that I was, I was going to, I was watching the news one day and CVS, the high school, they were showing them on the news that they had won the city championship. So in my mind, I said, hey, well, that's the school I'm going to go to. I'm going there. You know, I didn't know anything about the school. And like I told you, I had two buses and a train to get there. So it was about an hour away from my house. But that was a school that I wanted to go to. I didn't know if they were. You left out the train. I think you just said two buses. Now there's a train. Oh, yes. Oh, oh man. A bus, train, How long and that bus. take you? Uh, probably took about 50 minutes to an hour every day, there and back. So this school was, you know, an hour away on the south side of Chicago. I chose it because in my mind, they must be pretty good. I didn't know any of the coaches. I didn't know any players that went there. I just seen them on the news and said, hey, that's where I need to go. And that's kind of how my life went. And, you know, once I got to the school, didn't know anybody. Nobody recruited me. I found out when trials were, showed up for trials, went out there and did my thing, made the far south team. Played really well in far south. Coaches start recognizing. They pulled me up to varsity. And that's kind of how my life went. It was, I'll show you. I'm, I'm going to show you. I always felt like I was a pretty good player. You know how it is. You're just a little bit better than everybody that you're playing against. But you really don't know what level you're at until you start playing at a higher level. And once I got to high school and started playing around those guys, met some of those guys who had won the city championship, they, you know, they, they, they give you the okay, like, hey, you're a pretty good player. Now you start to build that confidence. Just, I just wanted to be a really good high school player first, you know? So you say that, like, that, that was it for me. It's like the first kind of pat on the back, 
like at mm-hmm. at a boy, like, hey, you're pretty good. You can do this. Like, that's what you need to be like. All right, cool. Like now I know I'm legit. In my head, I think I'm good, but you need that. You need that affirmations. Yeah. So, sure. so who did that or those affirmations come from? And were they people that you respected? Were they mentors to you? And kind of how did they or did they help take you to the next level? Yeah. So you know those guys in my mind, they had they had won the city championship. And they were accepting me on the team and they felt like I could be a big piece of the team. They welcomed me in and made me feel that way. And so from that point on, you know, I, I, you know, I started to fit in and, you know, I had respect for those players. They were good players. I wanted to be those guys. I wanted to bring you know, another city championship to the team. And so that's what pushed me. And, you know, those guys started talking about being pros and different things like that. But in the city of Chicago was a, a lot of players getting drafted and becoming, going to pro ball. And so that was the kind of the culture of the city. You know, guys wanted to try to get out of those situations that I talked about, you know, and move on and, and you know, become a pro. A lot of guys didn't really talk about college. I mean, guys went to college, but guys wanted to become pros and, and, and try to change their lives. So that was my focus once I kind of got accepted by my, you know, my peers and my teammates on my team, then I started thinking a little bit bigger. Did you see any guys go pro and talk to them? Maybe they were guys who were older than you and you talked to them and kind of were, you know, asking about their journey and they were giving you guidance or was it kind of you paving the way? Yeah, I really, I really didn't, it wasn't guys, I, I can't say there wasn't guys that was going pro from, you know, that I was, you know, maybe around, but I didn't know them. I didn't have those types of relationships. So I didn't get to be able to, you know, pick their brains and even ask them about it. Everything, you know, you're just hearing stuff from your coaches, coaches talking about guys that was pretty good and how good they were. And I'm trying to calculate how good they are based off what I'm doing and what they're saying I'm able to do. It's just in in my mind, just trying to calculate, okay, this is what I need to do. It was just kind of walking through it blind. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It's almost better. Sorry for interrupting, but it's it's almost yeah. better because you you said, you know, I'm just a guy who shows up and kind of shows you what I, what I can do. And, you know, it was a windy path, kind of zigzaggy. And I just kind of ended up here and did the thing. Like there was so little access to information back then because you got drafted in, let me see. 91. When, when, 91. I, I was going yeah. to show off my research. I have it on my screen. I drafted in 91. Like the internet wasn't a thing. Now all these guys have, you know, YouTube pages, they've got Instagrams, they've got profiles, they go to the, all these showcases, like you generally know where everybody's ranked. Like back then, you only knew the people in your community, you didn't know people in California, you didn't know how you stacked up against them, which is almost better because it's less pressure in my mind. Right, right, definitely. And you got drafted out of high school? Yes, I got drafted out of high school. I'm going to tell you a quick story first. Yeah. So once I, once I, you know, once I made up my mind that I wanted to be a pro, right? I didn't know, I didn't have a clue of how that was going to happen. I just, in my mind, I, I wanted to be a pro. So, you know, you know, back in the day, they, they had the, the open trial camps, you know, or teams will send you invites to come to Showcase the, the camps. Tr- right, the, the trial camps. So I started getting letters from different schools. How they see me, I don't know. I don't even know, you know, but I, I would start receiving letters to come to 
New York Mets open camp. Paris well, is open your coach camp. In, uh, is, is your coach in high school like, hey, Lou, like these scouts are here looking at you or not really? Kind of, sort of. You know, they would mention if it was guys, they're watching. I still was young. I was sophomore, you know, junior in high school. So they would mention it to him, but not, not, not to the extent where, where they were saying, hey, this guy's here to see you, you know. And a lot, you know, back in the day, what I found out, a lot of those scouts would just sneak in and never, you know, nobody knew they were there. Right. You know, they were so secretive, you know, because if they felt like they had a prospect, you know, that can become something they didn't want anybody to know. So sure. that's kind of how it was back then. Not, not, no way that it's nowhere near that now. Everybody knows everybody. But so I started getting these invites to these trial counts. And I remember getting to these camps and it would be, 150 players out there, grown men, you know, in their 30s, because they open camps. And I just remember just seeing all these these players and just thinking to myself, like, how is anybody going to see me out here? <laughs> you know, it was camps where the way they eliminated a lot of guys, they would have them run the 60, and guys that 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 didn't run up a seven, they would just run them up yeah. out of there. Right. And so then it was shrink, and then guys got, got the looks. But – but this one particular day, this is the pit, it was at a Pittsburgh Pirates trial camp. And the scout name was Bill Britt. And, you know, after the, 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 the uh, workout was over, it was maybe, you know, 50 guys sitting on the bleachers. And he's, he was giving a spiel about what pro ball is and, you know, guys who make it to the big leagues. I just remember him saying, you know, you know, it might be a million players that, you know, want to get to the big leagues. And, you know, it may be one guy that, that may get there. And I'm probably 15 or 16 years old, and I'm sitting there listening to him. And in my mind, I said, well, if it's one, then that's going to be me. Still didn't know how it was going to happen. But he said it was going to be one. In my mind, I said, hey, that's going to be me. And that's just kind of the mindset I had throughout my whole career, just thinking like that just figuring it out as I went and end up, you know, I didn't get drafted by those guys. I got drafted by the Astros out of mm -hmm. high school. I turned it down, ended up going to junior college and then ended up getting drafted by the Pirates. Gotcha. And, and that's like such a unique mentality to have, you know, they say shoot or shoot, right? Like take your shot. And it's kind of, right. it's good to be fearless, kind of not knowing the consequences of, you know, certain decisions you make like blissful ignorance. Right. Right. And for you, because I, I remember like my, and by the way, I was, I was good. I, I wasn't, you know, I, I had a lot of natural talent. I didn't work as hard as I could have, and I didn't love the game, but I always knew that there was going to be a backup plan. Like always, I remember every, like literally every single day, I remember thinking to myself, this is going to end at some point and I'm going to be something else. Like I just knew that there was a definitive end to it. Mm -hmm. And it probably inhibited me in some ways of reaching that next level, just because I didn't believe it for myself. Even when I was at really? UM, I was at UM and I remember being around guys like, you know, we had Jamal, we had Yonder Alonzo, we had Yasmani Grandel. And I remember just being like, these guys are, they're just, they're built differently. You know, they only <laughs> see this and I've got 10 other things I'm worrying about right now. Not that I was better right. in any way. I just like kind of categorize myself differently. And probably like, who knows? Like if I had a one track mind and was like, that's it, I'm going to be a pro, maybe yeah. I could have accomplished something. But for you, it's, it sounds like that's the only thing you ever considered. 
yeah. that also takes, especially when you come from, you know, the south side of Chicago. I was going to say the inner city, but the south side of Chicago is like a very special inner inner city. When you come from that and you get drafted out of high school to turn that down, mm-hmm. what? how do you turn that down when that's kind of the first door that's open towards being a professional athlete? Right. Yeah. It was, you know, I always, I always, I never lied to myself. I always was honest and, you know, just, just, I always been that way. And I, I felt like this was a great opportunity that the Astros came in the house and, you know, back then it was 1991. I got drafted in the 56th round. That's when they was having rounds all the way up into the eighties and the Astros offered me $15,000 to sign a contract, which, you know, $15,000 could have helped us a little. I mean, back then, just for inflation is what, (laughs) you know, about seven grand. Oh yeah. Of course, you know, back then for sure. But I knew I wasn't mature enough. And my game wasn't polished enough. I knew that. So it was basically I was I had to bet on myself. I had to bet on myself. I had to, I knew that I had to improve and get better. I played in the the public league, this you know, inner city public league where although it was some competition, but it wasn't enough. But yeah, you know, I, I knew I was playing in, you know, in the, the city public league where it wasn't much competition. I didn't get didn't really get any coaching. We we never even took batting practice on the field <laughs> so for me to be you know to think that I was ready for pro ball was I, I knew better than that and I, I just felt like I needed to improve and get better that's such a mature way of thinking because there's so many people who kind of see the future and see mm-hmm. that as a milestone like okay let me just go and run to the next phase of my career because this is in some ways manifestation of a of a dream or the that was the wrong word the what's the word i'm looking for lou the uh, no that, that was the right word yeah, yeah you should have encouraged right. me yeah. that was the right word yeah oh, okay yeah. Yeah, that's right yeah. the manifestation of a dream there we go yeah. it's a man that's a manifestation of a, of a dream and they just want to run with that but for you to be like oh, i'm not ready for that you know i need to be better and to take more time i was always in a hurry and there's a lot of people who are in a hurry just to get there right they're never yeah. satisfied with where they are they just want to get to that to that next thing right i mean were were you it doesn't sound like you're a guy who listened to a lot of people around him it sounds like you're a guy who kind of has always existed in his own head and used yourself as a barometer for what's real and what isn't was there anyone else who influenced you in that decision or that was like a unilateral call on your part uh i would say it was unilateral uh just for me like i said I had instincts. I was aware. I paid attention. I watched guys who played at a higher level. I knew it was players that was better than me in the city that I, you know, that was going in the first round and different, you know, I saw that and I knew that I wasn't on that level. And I wanted to be, you know, in my mind, I wanted to be prepared to be able to go and fight. And, you know, because t- to me, pro ball was, was, was the highest level, you know, to be, become a pro. In my mind, all those guys can play and all those guys can do what I could do. And I felt like I just had too many things that I didn't understand. And just the maturity level, just from being in the inner city, I needed to grow up a little bit too. Did you have guys around you, like your friends and, and other teammates who were like, Lou, like you're getting an offer to play pro baseball. Go do it, man. Like we don't have this, like get out, man. Go do it. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
I mean, they they were just like, you know, what you say, hey, man, this is your opportunity. You may not get it again. Hey, you know, we all want to get drafted, man. You you got a chance to do it. And I just didn't feel that in my heart. I just felt like I was going to get another chance. I felt like if they were drafting me out of Chicago, out of CVS High School, how much better could I be in a year when I start really working at the game or get in a better environment? That's just how I thought. I mean, as I'm hearing you tell your story, it's just so amazing to me. I'm I'm only looking at myself and other people that I know from similar situations. But, you know, I wasn't rich by by any means, but certainly didn't come from your from your beginnings. But I essentially had access to resources and I had I went to a great school, a great high school. I had access to tutors if I needed them. I had access to, you know, coaches. I had a, a personal trainer for, for exercising and working out and doing strength and conditioning. And I was way less mature than you were not even close to be able to make a, a, a decision like that. So, I mean, I'm just so impressed just hearing you tell this story. I'm, I'm eager to hear more. So what happens next? So you go to JUCO. So I had a full ride scholarship to Southern at Baton Rouge. I had a full ride, sight unseen. Coach never seen me play, but they had a pipeline from Chicago to Southern, you know. So, you know, he 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 was connected to, you know, the inner city kids. The coach trusted his scout or whoever he dealt with. I had a full ride to go to Southern and Baton Rouge, Division One HBCU. Yeah. It was the same. I felt the same. I, I said, I can't go and get better there. I I don't want to go to no big, big school and get lost in the shuffle. It wasn't that I was doubting myself. I just knew me. I needed I needed small setting. I needed to I needed to be able to practice and work each and every day. And for me, back then, JUCO was 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 almost like the minor leagues back yeah. then because they had the draft and follow still in effect. So a lot of guys who got drafted who didn't sign they went straight to JUCO. So it was a lot better competition. You can play, you know, almost 50 games in the fall, another 50 games in the spring, and you can practice each and every day. I knew that was that's what I needed because I wanted to be a pro. I knew that. I had already made up my mind. So that was my decision in that. So that's why I chose to go to the junior college, which was Kishwaukee Junior College right outside of uh, Chicago, maybe about an hour and 30 minutes outside of the city. But it, it did two things for me. Even though it was only an hour and a half away, it got me out of those those surroundings. Influences. And I, right. You're right, those influences. Now I'm in a whole different environment. Sure. Now I have to you know, learn how to, and it's a different culture, right? Sure. I have to grow up. I have to grow up. I have to get up on time. I have to be at practice. I'm dealing with different a different dynamic than I was used to, and it helped me grow up. I grew up really fast, and I had an awesome coach as well. Are you the first member of your family to go to college? No, my mom went to school, and my dad went to school as well. So when you went to junior college, did they know for you that was really just a means to get you to play professional baseball, or were they – really pushing you to focus on the academics and letting you know that, you know, there could be something on the other side of this. They were just happy that I was on the right track. You know, they really didn't, you know, look at it one way or another. Hey, 
this kid's on the right track. He got his head on right. Whatever come of this is going to be great because he's not around this madness each and every day. And that's kind of how my mom and dad kind of viewed it. Go do it, you know. And that's you feel like that's a, it doesn't sound it sounds like your 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 father. I mean, you mentioned briefly like the alcoholism, but it sounded that when he was there, he was generally supportive and in, in a resource yeah. for you. And it sounds like your mom was pretty encouraging, too. But it doesn't sound like they put any pressure on you. It sounds like all no. of that came from you. And now as now as a father who's had a son who now has an opportunity to have tremendous success in the major leagues and also just running an academy and, and doing what you do for the inner city. Do you see, or not, I know you do, when you see those parents who create that pressure for their kids, do you understand how that dynamic might influence the children? Do you ever step in? Like, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I ran teams for, for like 10 years in Chicago. So I've seen it all. I've seen it all. And I just, I, I you know, if I felt like the kid had some really, you know, high level potential, right? You know, I would step in and kind of just give my opinion as to, you know, my experiences playing the game, what I've learned. And I would kind of just put it on the table to them, tell them, you know, how it can affect them, you know, good or bad, and kind of let them deal with it and take, take it and run with it. Because ultimately, I, what I learned is you can't change the mind of a parent. You know, they're, they're the influence. They're in the house with the kid. They're the ones that's going to be influencing them the most. So I would just try to offer my suggestions and try to give it, you know, give them certain scenarios that they can kind of, you know, go off. I've seen it go. I've seen it go left and I've seen it go right. And it was all based off the parent being open to trusting, you know, what, what myself was saying or somebody else that they trusted. We, I, I don't want to get, I, I asked the question and I almost regret doing it. I, I wanted to focus more on your parents because we're going like down the line to, to what you're doing now, but you, you bring up some good points that, I'll, that I want to go over later, but let's talk about Juco. So your parents are proud of you for just being on the right track. You're now away from some potentially bad influences in the South side of Chicago. And now you're interacting with a completely different dynamic of team of setting your getting, you know, you're disciplined, you're getting up every morning, you have to focus on your studies. How did that impact your growth and development, not just as an athlete, but also just as a maturing adult? And what impact do you think that had on you for the second time you got drafted? Oh, yeah, that made me grow up really fast. It gave me a different perspective on what the world was really like. You know, I started, you know, I started to see that I had to be accountable for my actions. I had to show up and compete. I had to keep my grades up in order to be eligible to realize my dreams. I had a coach that, that held me accountable because he seen the talent that I had. I was a freshman, you know, going into, you know, was, was going to be the starting shortstop on a really good team. So that was pressure. So I had to, you know, each and every day I had to come and prove myself. I had to do all these things in order to, to get out there and perform. And also just, you know, everything that it takes to, you know, play at a high level, getting rest and different things like that. So all those things helped me grow up. And nobody was, you know, they don't give you a handbook on these things. And I didn't really grow up in that structured environment. 
I learned structure being, you know, away from home. I, I had to in order to perform at a high level. And when it was all said and done, because you got drafted again out of junior college, do you look mm -hmm. back and think 100% that was the right decision for you? 100%. 100%. You know, those years of playing in junior college helped me through the minor leagues. I breezed through the minor leagues because of the work ethic that I developed and the structure and the no-nonsense mentality that I had. Because now I know how to work. I know what I needed to do to become a better player. I understood that the sense of urgency and that, you know, nobody's going to give me anything. I understood that. And, and so if I, you know, I can't say, I can't say that, you know, things wouldn't have worked out for me if I'd have went a different route, but I know for a fact going through that JUCO route uh, has helped me tremendously. And I use a lot of those things today with kids that I work and train i also not to take away from that but i also feel like you've always just had a very mature mentality from the things that you've talked about which i i don't think is normal by by any means <laughs> and i mean that as a compliment but i also just sincerely mean it like it just it's not normal so i mean i'll be honest about junior college i think the perception about junior college is that kids who don't have the grades to go to a four-year university which let's be honest there's plenty of four-year universities out there with a pretty low bar for acceptance. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of guys who have an opportunity just to, I mean, to fuck off that and that happens. And I say that I chose my words very deliberately and it mm -hmm. sounds like you went to junior college on a mission to grow and develop and be ready for the next phase. So are there words of, I'm sure you had opportunities as well to fuck off mm -hmm. in junior college. And cool. I'm sure that there were people around you who took, those opportunities. So if you could frame it in a way as advice for people who are potentially considering a junior college path, is there anything that you would say specifically? You know, for me, I, I think that, you know, guys who, if, if their dreams and as, you know, expect aspirations is to play at, you know, a high level, whether it's division one, or pro ball, right? And they're not quite there coming out of high school. I highly recommend you find a good JUCO because, I mean, everything that you need is going to be there. It's going to force you to grow up. You have to go get your, you have to go train and get your work on, you know, done on your own. It's, it's, it's structured, but it's, it's hey, here, here it is, go get it. And, you know, for those guys that need a little more time, to improve on that game and, you know, and just grow up as a, you know, a young adult, junior college is the right environment. If it's a, a good leader there, you know, a good coach there. I think too, you know, at, like I went to university of Miami and at university of Miami, great school, private university. Like you talked about, you needed small focused individual coaching, right. And, and attention to, to really hone your skills. University of Miami's like that small class sizes, focus on athletics. It's great. But everyone generally knows that academics are important. It's an academic university. They take it, they take it very seriously. It's almost harder when there isn't an emphasis on that to also take it seriously and to avoid the other influences. Like you, you were looked at like you're an idiot if you didn't take school seriously. And I, I've talked to guys right. on the football team that maybe may be a little bit different on the football team. <laughs> 
but like if you couldn't maintain like a 2.0 gpa you're an idiot right Right. like you're clearly not focused you're not a fit for the university but in juco it's not really about that you're kind of just there so you know it must have taken an extra level of just self-discipline because the influences there in a way are also probably not the best thing is that is that accurate or am i totally off base yeah i mean i wouldn't say you're on your own to figure that part out because you know if you're a good player the coach the coach is going to be checking up on you right but if, if if you're not if, if, if you don't have the focus and the, the drive to take care of the classroom so that you're eligible to play, then nobody's going to care, you know? And, and for me, that's what drove me. I wanted to get drafted, right? I wanted to become a pro. So taking care of my grades so that I was eligible was part of the formula. And if pro ball didn't work out, I wanted to be eligible to move on to a division one and still move on with my life. So, I was kind of hedging my bet. I didn't, I mean, I didn't throw it. I didn't roll a dice like all or nothing on pro ball. I always had, you know, plan B in the back of my head, but being a pro was in the forefront and being eligible to play was, was, was part of the formula for me to, you know, to reach that goal. So let's, so let's go there now. So let's talk about the experience of getting drafted for a second time. Do you feel like you're ready? Are you now like absolutely I'm signing. I'm ready to go to the minor leagues because you also didn't get drafted very high, right? Right, right. So at that right. point, are you like, man, I just went to JUCO, honed my skill sets, and got better, and I'm getting drafted. And would you get drafted in the 36th, 31st round? 31st round. Did the they pirates. offer you the same money? Was there any more? Was there any more money at this point? <laughs> so it's a funny story. So just drop on your seatbelt. So I get drafted in the 31st round by the Pirates. I'm excited because I reached another goal. You know, in my mind, I got better. It went from the 56th round to the 31st round. I got better. Pirates come in and, you know, I think the Astros, so with the draft and follow, the Astros had my rights up into the draft. They came back and upped it to 25 grand before the draft. I could have signed with them because that's how that works. Told them no, got drafted by the Pirates. The Pirates come and offer the same thing. $25,000, right? So that's double what, yeah. double what, you know, coming out of high school. So right. I'm making some progress in my mind. I turned it down again. It did not sign. For did what? Not sign. Based on what? I still. First of all, I felt like I was worth more than that. Second of all, I felt like I was gaining ground and I, I, I just, it was a little bit more that I needed to do. I need to get a little bit better. So, so I had a, just like this interview, like we're getting there, but we're not there yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> tell me, tell me how we get there. All right. So I had a, I had a solid freshman Juco year. It was solid. I played shortstop, made my mistakes, learned from the mistakes. But by the end of the year, was doing really, really well, playing great. And, you know, for me, I got drafted. They came and offered me whatever. But I just felt like I had more. It was more for me to learn. I had to get faster. I needed to get a little bit stronger. I needed to work on my swing a little bit more. I needed to become a better defender. I knew that. And to be honest with you, I just felt like $30,000. I, I felt like I can do a little bit better than that. I just did. I was going to say, man, just cut to the chase. It wasn't enough money. Yeah. If they, had offer, if they had offered you 100 at that point, would you have signed? Probably. Okay. You know, because... 
Yeah, because a hundred thousand dollars at that time was worth uh, kind of like maybe six, seven hundred thousand dollars in, in today's time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that would have been a really, really solid bonus. But to be honest with you, I still felt like I wasn't, I, I still, in the back of my head, I would have felt like uh, I got some more work to do, to be honest with you. So it was a little bit of both, but the money would have changed, to be honest with you, if it would have been, you know, a high sign of bonus. So what happened was my, my coach from the junior college, he, he left and became a scout with the Pirates. So he left and became the area scout with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So now we at this, we got eight or nine guys that's draft guys on this one team because we were really good. We're just looking, we don't have a coach. So he was really good friends with the coach at Triton Junior College. Triton Junior College was a powerhouse too, right in River Grove, Illinois, who produced Kirby Puckett, Lance Johnson, Jeff Revelay. Just it was a monster. I haven't heard powerhouse. Kirby Puckett's name in years. That guy was unbelievable. Yeah. So all these built, guys come built out like of a pregnant beetle. That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So he, you know, our head coach comes back to us and say, Hey, you know, coach Simmons want all you guys. So we all transferred and went over there and they was already solid. So we instantly became a powerhouse instantly because we had that team the following year probably had, 14 draft guys on wow 14 and do you think being on a team that's succeeding so much and just winning so much makes you better i think that's part of it you know because now it's a winning culture we won at at kishwaukee but now we expected to win you know we're looking at each other like we're gonna win and now i'm older i'm a sophomore you know we got other sophomores who just went through a grind, you know, over at Kishwaukee. So now we're changing the culture at this school. At a really, we got two really good veteran coaches that that's been winning. They know talent. They've seen big leaders, you know. And so it was, for me, it was just a perfect storm of now I've developed. I know I, I understand my work ethic. I know what I need to do to to get to that next level. This environment is laid back. Let's go do it. All right. So let's go do it. Do we do it this time? How do we actually sign? So we do. So we do it. So that year we it's, we went 56 and nine. We we play in the Junior College World Series. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leading the team in hitting. I think I hit 506 in a regular season. And that's insane. All, I mean, I know it's junior college, but is there anyone else that's hitting a, you know, 500 clip? <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, that was, uh, that was insane, but I, that's what I felt like. I can play at that level. End up being a junior college player of the year, All-American. Now in my mind, like, all right, it's time to go. Ready. It doesn't get much higher at this, at this level. You're right. It's time to go. It's time to go. It's no secret I'm a bit of a diva when it comes to interior design. The space you surround yourself with can change the way you feel, the way you think, the way you live. Your home should be a space that elicits your best self in your optimal lifestyle. Whether you're looking for a massive pit sectional for the whole family to jump on, a sleeper sofa, a high design couch for your apartment, or a decorative chair to make a statement in any room, both Edlow Finch and Albany Park make it easy to anchor your home with cozy, stylish sofas and armchairs. As listeners of the podcast, 
you can use the code POSTGAME at checkout for 10% off any purchase site-wide. Edlo Finch in Albany Park. The cozy home begins here. So Pirates came in before the draft, and I ended up signing with them. Probably could have passed on them and maybe got a little bit more money, but ended up getting like $85,000 from the Pirates. And I felt like that was a pretty good deal. I felt like I was mature. Now I'm sure about what I can do. Let's go into my leagues and get out there. A lot of money back then, I think, sounds about commensurate with, with your talent level at that point. And it sounds right. like you, at that point, were confident that you had taken enough steps and there was nothing to be left on the table in your development and you were ready to go pro. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, we've got all this build out, build up talking about being ready to go pro. When you went pro, did you hit the ground running? Were you ready? And you were like, you know what? I, I spent the right amount of time developing or was it a whole new learning curve for you? It was a whole new learning curve. And just, and, and it was more mental than anything else. Uh, you know, when you get to that level, you think that it's, I, I want to say something that it's not, but you, in your mind, you feel like these are pro guys. You see the Latin guys, you see the big, strong, swole guys and, and I'm looking around like, oh, what did I get myself into? You're in the 90s, too. So everyone's, I mean, you got a lot of guys on steroids and stuff, too. Oh, right? yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But I didn't know that at the time. You yeah. Know, I'm just thinking these guys are incredible. And you know what helped me? What helped me a lot my first year was when, I, we, when we came out of the Junior College World Series, I had a strained hamstring. So when I got to my league camp, to the, you know, the, the first camp, I was at a short, we was at short season. I worked out with the guys and I'm seeing these guys and they're incredible guys hitting balls to the moon, the Latin guys doing their thing with the defense and guys running fast. And so I'm looking around like, Oh, Holy cow, you know, but that was on a 10 day, I was on a seven day DL. So when the season started, I, I, I got a chance to sit and watch. And once I saw these guys on my team and the other team, that what I saw in practice wasn't happening in the games, I said, oh, yeah, I can't wait till I get back. Because <laughs> what I do in practice is going to be twice. It's translate. Yeah, it's going to translate yeah. in the games, and you're a gamer. Exactly. I'm a gamer. So, and you had played a lot of baseball. I mean, Juco, I mean, you play, what, 50-something games in the regular season, maybe more. So you, you had been used to playing oh, yeah. a lot of baseball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was. That, was, that wasn't a problem, you know, playing the games. So you get healthy. I mean, you mentioned, I didn't mean to talk over you, but I, I want to go here. So, but you mentioned that you started your pro career on the, on the DL with it, with a hamstring injury, you know, as well as I do half the battle of making it to the league is staying healthy. And I mean, it's staying healthy and being consistent And the fact that you started on the IR sounded like it was an advantage to you was taking care of your body. Something that you emphasized as part of your training or again, was this something where you kind of got lucky in a way and just never got injured? Well, you know what? I, I had to mature and get older to really un learn and understand how important that was. You know, I was still a young guy, you know, we would have weightlifting sessions and I would go in there and do my thing, but nothing focused on, let me make sure I do these things. I was young. I was just, just kind of doing what they said do. Uh, as I got older in my career, I understood how important it was to get in there and maintain the strength and make sure I'm stretching properly, 
and, you know, doing things on a consistent basis. So I had to learn those things as I grew, you know, going through the minor leagues and getting to the major leagues. So, so you get to the minor leagues, it's not like your first round draft pick. You're not a hot, you're not a top 10 pick. You're not a top 20 pick, you know? Right, so right. Are, in your mind, do you know you're going to the major leagues at this point? Not quite, not quite. Right. You know, for me, it was the way I gauged myself was, okay, who's the best player on our team? Who's the best player on that team? Okay. I'm out played them today. And that's just what I did every day. Who? Oh, oh, this guy's a first round pick. We're facing them. Okay. You know, and that's just, just kind of how I went about it. Like, okay, I'm going to dominate him today. And, and that's just was my focus. That's what kept me, you know, kept me driven. You know, you know, I, I was a competitor that way. And if I'm dominating the best players, I must be one of them too. So it's interesting you say that. Was that actually your mentality or was there a part of you that was like a little intimidated and felt like you didn't necessarily have a place at the table with them? No, I was, that was that was always my mentality. I mean, again, that's just so impressive to me because I'll, I'll be honest. For me, and I, I'm I'm younger than you, so I I came up in a time again before, you know, social media existed, which I think was fortunate. But we had the internet to some extent. I mean, it was just starting out; it was still dial up, but you could see what was going on across the country. There were perfect game showcases. You kind of knew who everyone was, and I remember it allows for you know media just kind of magnetizes stuff right mm -hmm. that was the wrong word magnifies magnify stuff also magnify stuff and so you create this concept of things that you read about or things that you see and then when they're there in person you you know there's this aura to them and it's all bullshit it's all in your head so right. i remember just going up i remember justin upton i you know justin upton so yeah. i remember virginia guys i remember playing against him every time i would play against him i was like, man it's justin upton oh oh He's just a guy. I mean, he's he was amazing, and his brother was amazing. Yeah. But again, there was like you're intimidated, like you can't believe that this person that you've read about and your friends have talked about and everybody, you know, getting autographs from you're playing against them. And I remember when I got to Miami, you know, there's guys that I had followed, like I knew who the whole roster was before I showed up on yeah. campus, and then to see them in in the flesh, it was almost like wow, like good for me. I'm I'm now amongst these guys, not. Like, hell yeah, I should be here. Like, I'm just as important <laughs> as them. So there was always right. a, a part of that for me, like the celebrity of it that I've kind of created in my head that was a little polarizing. And I just right. think, again, I'm so impressed that you just kind of always, you just never, you never saw any of that. And you just saw through that. And it was always just about you and what you can do. That's, that's amazing to me. Yeah. So you're going up against the first rounders. You're saying, all right, dude, like, let me see what you got so I can be better than, than this. At what point in the, your minor league development did you know that you were going to the major leagues? Did you get that other, that encouragement that you got in high school, that that attaboy, hey man, good job, like you can go to the next level? At, at what point did did that happen for you? Well, I mean, I think each year, you know, me having success my first year, you know, in the short season, and then the Pirates invite me to instructional league with all the prospects. So now I see all the, all the top players in the Pirates system. I get to see and watch these guys and see what they can and can't do. I was able to, you know, just size them up, so to speak. And so now I'm I'm paying attention to, you know, who's the top players and what they can and can't do. I was able to see those things. And so the following year, I it's my first long season. 
So, you know, you hear different things that, you know, people talk about, hey, that first all season is, is a beast. You know, you got to get through it and, you know, maintain this and that and whatever, you know. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I'm in Augusta, Georgia, you know, with the green jackets. And I'm playing, we playing every day. And I'm, you know, I'm doing okay, you know, and early on I'm, I'm, I'm getting my hits. But every time I'm getting two strikes, they throw me a slide, I'm swinging in the dirt, swinging, strike three, strike three. And, you know, you got your coaches saying, you know, you got to make adjustments, you got to make adjustments. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what is he talking about? What can't, you know? And what I realized was that, hey, man, you got to stop swinging at this slide in the dirt with two strikes. Lay off of it, and you'll get a better pitch. So long story short, I start laying off the slider. I start really swinging it. And now I'm, I ain't going to say dominating, but I'm having a really, really good season there, you know, my first long season. I end up making an all-star team. I'm leading the team in stolen bases. I think I stole 37, something like that. I meant and to I ask you up, earlier. Sorry, I meant to ask you earlier. What did you run the 60 in? I was a 6'5", 60. Got it. What's crazy to me, so I, I was a 6'3", to 6'5", guy. Like, I ran 6'3", twice, and after that, I ran 6'5", like, every every single time. But which six five is fast? Guys now are running like six O's. Five, <laughs> there's a there's a kid there's a kid at NC State who runs a five nine. It's insane to me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a little bit of that is marketing, you know, through the perfect game sites and the PBR. You know, that's marketing that gets people excited. You know, and I ain't gonna say that the guys are not fast enough because they are, but sometimes when they get you know, that extreme, I had to question it. But I mean, um, that is, that's a full half a second faster than someone who's insanely fast. All right. Yeah, that's, that's outrunning Deion Sanders. Come on, man. Yeah, you well, know, Deion Sanders is what? He was like a six one guy, six, yeah. six one. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't seen speed like that. Yeah. But uh, in, sorry, not to digress. Can, sorry, no, continue. That's fine. So, long story short, I make the All Star team. Played All Star game. I'm the MVP of the All Star game. I'm just, you know, it's it's happening. After the All Star break, I get called up to High A ball. I go up there and hit another six home runs and drive in another twenty. Do pretty well. After the season, I I get named as the Pirates' number two prospect. I hit thirteen homers. I almost stole 50, forty bags. So power and speed. Wow. And so now in my mind, like, uh oh. I might have a chance to do this. Yeah, I'm you know? the guy. Yeah. I might, hey, this, this is happening. You and you've seen coaches are treating you different. The players are treating you different. Yeah. Everything Girls are changes. treating you different. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. You know, everything changes when you, yeah. you're taking care of your business and playing, you know, balling. So, so walk me through the call up and just kind of, I mean, you had a, you had a good major league career. Just if you could, Talk to me about the experience of actually realizing your dream and everything that you had planned for since you were in the South side of Chicago growing up. Talk to me about how does your family react to that? How do people, I mean, do you even still talk to the same people from, from Chicago at that point? Or have you lost touch? Like talk to me about just how culturally and socially your life just changes. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I got a small circle of people that I, you know, I deal with. And that I keep around me. So, you know, at that time, when I got the call up, those people were still around. 
you know, coaches that I have had and my mom. At that time, my dad had passed away. But my, you know, my circle was around me. And so I get called up out of AAA with the Pirates. And I just remember the coach calling me. You know, I was a young guy. You know, AAA is mostly older guys coming from, you know, up and down big leagues, guys who have been around. I'm proud. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm 22, you know, in, in AAA, you know, young guy. And we had an old veteran coach who, who favored the older guy. So, you know, anytime we, you know, lose a game, he he's blaming the younger guy. You know, he's going to point out something that we didn't didn't do or whatever. So, but he was he was a good guy. You know, it was, but he would get on us in front of everybody. He was just trying. I'm just to thinking that's so like counterintuitive. Like, you know, you should be like blaming the older guys. Like, guys, you've been here, you've done this. Like, <laughs> right? Carry yeah. carry the team, man. This guy's 22. <laughs> yeah, he was a, he was a jokester, but he 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 wanted to keep us on our toes. So anyway, so so he calls me in the office. And I'm thinking he's getting on me. I, you know, I had had a pretty good game. I've been playing really well. And I'm wondering why he called him in the office and he's looking at me crazy. He's like, man, sit down, sit down. And I'm like, okay, man, what, what, I, what did I do now? What did I do? He said, hey, I got, some, I got some good news for you and I got some bad news for you. He said, which one you want to hear from? I say, hey, man, give me the bad news first, man. He say, you made the all-star team, but you're not going. I'm like, man, what are you talking about? How are you not gonna let me? You know, because I'm thinking, I'm like, how are you yeah. not gonna let me go to the to the all-star game? Said, yeah, yeah. Because oh, you're going great. to the major leagues, you know. Then it's great, man. So what does it feel like in that in that moment? I mean that was crazy. That was <laughs> man. Who's your first phone call? My mom. That's awesome. That's awesome. What did she say? She was, you know, she was, you know, I couldn't even, she was screaming on the phone and I'm trying to, you know, grasp what what's happening. And I don't know how, you know, how it all works. And I'm trying to figure out when am I leaving and what's going on and trying to get her there. And, and uh, so we both was happy. And so you'd said your father had passed away at that point. Is there a yeah. part of you that, I mean, dumb question, obvious answer. What's that yeah. like for you, for him to not be there? Oh, that was tough. That was tough. But, you know, he planted a seed in me. He was he was the reason why, you know, I was in the position that I was in. You know, I was doing it for him. Yeah, it's the answer I would expect, man. But, I mean, what an awesome manifestation of your dreams just creating that path. So yeah. it's not happily ever after. There's actually things that you have to do right now you have to earn your paycheck and and live up to the expectations you've set for yourself and the organization has set for themselves the fan base the other players walk me through that yeah the major leagues is a whole different animal it's a different animal it's so many things going on that if you really if, if you don't have a mentor somebody walking you through it helping you understand what the major leagues is, then you're going to get lost. Things are moving so really, it's, really fast. It's wild because at the end of the day, you're playing baseball. It's the same yeah. thing. You get up there, you're, you're swinging the bat at a ball that's coming at you. You're stealing the same bases. Everything's the same size for the most part, but you talk about it just being so different. What specifically 
is different because you don't see that as a fan. I don't think people really understand how the lifestyle can affect you mentally, physically, emotionally. Just talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, in the big leagues, you know, it's it's a big show. It's a show. Uh, You're playing in all the big cities, much more travel. You're in and out of towns, you're in and out of hotels. You're playing against the best players in the world on a daily basis. Now it's no longer about development. It's about production each and every single day. And as a young guy, you have to figure out the league. You have to get in where you fit in at. And you have to, you know, you have to learn as you go. And either you're doing it or you're not. There's no, he'll figure it out. Either you're producing or you're not. And, you know, you're on that clock. And I wish I would have understood that a lot, you know, early as a younger guy. And, you know, I learned it as I went along. But, you know, you have to you have to know these things when you get there. You know, hey, man, you have to get these jobs done. And, and it's a preparation. It's a learning curve, too, as you get there. It's not easy. Yeah, you're playing baseball, but now you're playing against the best players in the world who's not making many mistakes and gold gloves all over the field. And he got scout reports on you. And they know all your weaknesses. And they can pitch to them. So now you have to be precise in what you can and can't do. And just mentally, you've got guys who've developed. You're 22 years old. I mean, when I was, I don't even want to talk about what I was doing when I was 22 years old. But I, <laughs> it certainly did, was not in a position that had that much pressure. And there was not that much of an expectation that was set for me so does that do you feel that pressure and we talked earlier you never really identified anyone who was like a mentor or took you under their under their wing it was always like you were a self-driven kind of guy when you got to the major leagues was it the same sort of uh, approach for you or were there guys who were like hey rook come here man yeah i had a few guys you know once i got to the major leagues kevin young was the first baseman over there who kind of you know, schooled me to, you know, what the major leagues were. Uh, I had a couple older veterans. I had a chance to, you know, play with Sean Dunstan a little bit, who kind of, you know, told me some things, you know, and this this is my first year. So you still have to process the information. You have to process and understand what they're saying and what they mean by it. That takes time too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, all while playing each and every day, you know, you playing on the field, you have to, you have to perform. So, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was tough, man. It it was not easy. It was not an easy thing. It was very, very tough to go out and perform, you know, at a high level, you know, each and every day. So how many years did you end up playing in the major leagues? I played eight seasons at the major league level. I mean, that's a lot. So you figured it out at some point. What yeah. was it for you when you mentally made that transition to being a more mature, well-rounded person? I'm not just going to say player, but a person who's capable of dealing with all of those uh, elements that you talked about being so different from any other dynamic of baseball. Yeah. So I really, I caught a blessing. I, I got, excuse me. I, um, my, after my second year with the Pirates, I got, they took me off the roster. I went over to Milwaukee, to the Brewers, signed with the Brewers, made the team out of spring training. 
And one of the guys that I had looked up to for, you know, forever was on the team, Marquise Grissom. Marquise Grissom, veteran, guy that I respected. He really took me under his wings and taught me the whole game on and off the field, how to be a professional, how to go about things, how to deal with the coaches, how to deal, you know, all these things. He he told me, uh, he said, look, you you living with me. You're not spending none of your money. I just want you to pay attention, watch what I do, and make sure you're always ready. You know, and that's when I started to learn how to, you know, you know, really become a, a professional on and off the field. How yeah. old is he at this point? He's uh oh at that point I was mm-hmm. maybe 24. So he's probably he was probably 29, mm-hmm. 28. He about he's about five years older than me. So he so, so he's a veteran in in baseball years, but still relatively young. But yes. what I mean, what a testament to his character to recognize that he could be a mentor for you. And it sounds like that was pivotal in your development as a person and, and, and as a player. So after you spend time, you live with Marquise Grissom, you kind of monkey see, monkey do, you, you know, do do the same things that he's doing. How does that change your approach as a player? Well, now I'm I'm preparing different. You know, I'm showing up earlier. I'm working on proper things. I'm sure about what I can do, you know, and just how you treat people and how you speak, you know, interact with coaches, you know, about being honest with them and, and demanding their respect, you know. So all those things change because now I, you know, I'm a professional. I'm a big leaguer, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a act the part and you're going to treat me this way as well. You know, so those different things, just watching how he interacted with teammates and held guys accountable. How he held me accountable, you know, yeah. about showing up and performing and, you know, being ready for whatever situation that they threw at me. So I was able to understand these things and get a, a different perspective from him and him being honest with me, which helped me big time. So Marquise Grissom kind of shows you, shows you the way. And it sounds like this is the first time that you've really had somebody show you how to do things without you figuring them out for yourself. And I knew as we were talking, like there had to be some point where you had a mentor. There had to be because there's no way this guy, as impressive as you are, just kind of figured out everything. There's so many, you know, unique dynamics to each element of your development. So I just remember for me, the only way I learn anything is I have to see it done. I can... I will screw it up every way possible. Even if I do it right, I won't have the confidence in myself to know that I did something the right way unless I see somebody do it the right way and I know that it's effective. Or somebody says, yes, that's the way you're supposed to do it. Like, I just, I need that, you know, those assurances. So it sounds like that really for you was the point where you shifted and felt like you belonged in the major leagues and kind of knew how to go about your business. So throughout the eight yeah. years, what year? This is year two with Mark. When this happens with Marquise Grissom, uh, this is year three. Bad yeah. math. You were twenty-two and you were twenty-five. Bad math. My bad. So, mm-hmm. so, so year three. So you got five years after that where you're now established and you're maturing on your own just through human development. Talk to me about how your role changes, not just success on the field, but because 
you had success in the field. I'm more curious about how you assumed a more mature leadership role as a veteran as you navigated the major leagues in your career. You know, what I learned was is that what I was bringing to the table was enough. You know what I mean? Like who I was was enough. You know, early on, I felt like I had to, you know, do the, I'm a major leaguer, so I need to be able to do this. I'm a major leaguer, so I need to be able to do this. You feel what I'm saying? And that's not true. You know, as I matured and kind of had a chance to watch and see things and get around guys, I learned that, man, this is what I can do. This is my, these are my strengths. I'm going to bring this each and every day. And somebody's going to like it. And these, this is the way I can help my team. And I just took those things right into my personal life and everyday life because that gave me a lot of clarity. It, it, it relieved a lot of stress from just trying to wonder, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Do so-and-so like it or whatever? So, and to this day, I'm the same way. Hey, these are my strengths. This is what's great about me, right? I'm weak yeah. in these areas. Yeah. And But you know what? I'm going to work my strengths. And whoever like it, they like it. It's cool. Whoever don't like it, that's okay too. You know what that's I mean? That's such so, a good soundbite. Yeah, that that's such a good soundbite. It's like I, like you're you're. I'm telling you right now, the episode's going to be titled "I'm Enough." I'm it's, that that's kind of how this happens. Like somebody says something in the episode, and it's like, all right, there it is. That's the title. But yeah, no. But that's that's like that's deep stuff because that relates to everything. There's only so much you can do, and there's so much I can do. There's only so many things you're going to be good at. There's going to be a number of things that you're not good at. There's a limitation to how good you can get at certain things and self-awareness and the ability to recognize that is so important in every element of life. And some people never realize that, by the way, I think the earlier you realize that the better you are, because you can constantly just learn and you don't try and be something that you're not. So tell me how your ability to recognize your role and your limitations and your strengths and the importance of constantly learning, especially on things that you're not so great at, played a role in your transition after sport when you saw your career timeline dwindling? Yeah, I uh, I've always been real with myself. And as I, you know, this was maybe so. Actually, I, I left the major leagues. I went and played because I was I was up and down Triple A big leagues, Triple A big leagues. I went to go play in Korea for two years because it was more stability. It was guaranteed money. It was you know blah blah blah. And this was toward you know the end of you know it's getting late. You know I'm 29, 30, somewhere in there. Been fighting, grinding, you know, fighting for those years in the major league. So I had this opportunity to go to Korea. And I, I I jumped on it because I went over there and and again it was another learning curve. It was it felt like me against the whole career. <laughs> when I it's got actually over Korea there. against yeah. the world, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and that's how I felt. So it was a whole different culture, right? But what I learned was the same thing, life lessons that I learned striving to be a major leaguer, knowing who I was as a player was the things that I applied over there, being in a totally different country. And, you know, you know, being a foreigner over there, you have these unrealistic demands 
that the team has for you. You know, every day they expect for you to hit home runs and carry the team and do all these things. But again, I knew what I was capable of. I knew what I was going to bring to the table. And I focused on those things and had two really good years over there. So, you know, long story short, came back. This was 05, 06. I come back 07. Got two children now. I got my son is born. He's three. My oldest daughter was six. And I got a baby on the way. I'm in trip. I come back, go to big league camp with the Phillies. I'm in triple A with the Phillies. Playing well with the Phillies. I'm possibly can get back to the major leagues if I fight, 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 right? But I found myself without the same work ethic. I wasn't as enthusiastic. I'm seeing these younger guys running circles around me. And I had to come to a realization like, okay, it's time, Lou, it's time. It's time to You've move You've always on. been such a self-aware guy. And I think that's so important, right? There's, there's guys who live in denial about what their yeah. limitations might be at different points in time. But I think, again, I'm just impressed with how mature you handled things. Sounds like you recognize this and kind of self-induced the transition when you recognize that it was, it was time to move on. So let's, let's go yeah. through that. Cause I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover, but I, I want to get to the point where you transition out of sport, you focus on being a husband and being a father. You've got three, you got three children. And now you're in a position where you have son who was a first round draft pick this year. I mean, mm -hmm. how does your, how do all of your experiences up to this point lead to that point? And, you yeah. know, it just sounds just talking to you. Like, I wish I had, had this conversation with you when I was 18, <laughs> just like sucking out all of this knowledge and all this experience from you and feeding it to, you know, to your offspring, you must have had still have just such a tremendous sense of pride in that. Talk to me about oh, all yeah. of that. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm so interested. For sure. So I retire, I go home. It's time to be a, a dad. But to be honest with you, I don't, I played baseball all my life. I don't, you know, the real world is, it's scary, to be honest. Especially, you know, I was probably married. We had probably been married four years now at the time. So that was new. So I'm a little afraid of that. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. I get home and I say, you know what? I'm gonna learn as I go. I'm, a, I'm just I'm gonna learn and try to figure out this transition. Playing baseball for 15 years, hey, you know, it's a routine, you're used to that. Waking up every day, you know, feeding the kids, doing it, you know, daily things away from something that I love was a was was a scary thing in the beginning. It's not an easy transition. It is not. So it took me some time to figure that out. I got into real estate a little bit. I got into all these different things that I was just trying to do something to justify me being at home. And, and is it more you chasing these things or are these things coming to you? Like, hey, Lou, like you're a former major leaguer. You'd be great to have on our team. Like, how does that? happen it it was a little bit of both you know it's it's me like i need to get into something i need to do this you know i'm not doing this anymore i need to get into these things but that wasn't my passion you know i didn't have love for it i didn't have the proper mentors to really understand these things right so i made a lot of mistakes a lot of mistakes you know a lot of things that i regret not really regret because i learned from them it was just tough mistakes you know and I learned from them. And then I realized 
hey, you got to do what you do best. You play baseball 15 years. You love playing baseball. You love teaching the game. You love, you know, dealing with people, right? And that's when Lukai Baseball started. That's that's when I started the Lukai Baseball Association, just focusing on inner city kids like myself, kids who just needed a way, somebody to lead them in the proper ways, just how to, you know, just go about life, you know? And, and I wanted to surround them around guys who were doing things on a high level, whether it's baseball or anything else, just so that these kids can have somebody they can talk to, feel, touch, and, and really understand like, hey, I come from right here too. I know what you're dealing with. I understand. I was able to do it and let me show you how. And that's, that's what started, you know, Luke Ryder Baseball. And outside of baseball, too, because you talk about somebody, you know, to, to show them about life. Like, I can't think of another person, like a more credible source to teach these this youth about baseball and life because you have had a healthy dose of of all of it and just had such a mature mentality. And I think that I don't even know if you recognize how different that is. I mean, you probably don't just because you've only lived in your own head your whole life. But I think just you come across, unless you're just acting right now, which you probably aren't, but you come across just extremely calm and level-headed and self-aware. And I think just having that focus and having that, it, it comes across as, as an aura where you're just not affected about what's going on around you. And I think in today's day and age, it's so easy to be impacted and influenced by all of the different media sources and all of the different concepts of what we need to be and these additional pressures that come from our surroundings and like there's no right or wrong and something that right. i think you have always done extremely well is just focused on what you believe you want to do which seems to center around your your strengths and you know as you were talking about you know i messed with real estate and i messed with this like that must that must have felt like acting to you that must have felt like yeah, you were yes wearing a Halloween costume and just pretending to be phase two of your life. Right. It, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a former NFL guy earlier today who I was just connected with and he, he played for a couple of NFL teams and, you know, didn't make enough money to not have to do anything for the rest of his life. So he's figuring it out right now and he's doing, he's doing sales. And he's like, man, I just don't care about this stuff that I'm selling and, and I'm not so passionate about it. And I was like, you know what, man, like when you're doing it just to do it, just to feel like you need just to get a paycheck, like you're never going to be exceptional at it. Like right. you need to figure And by the way, you, you had a long enough career and I think enough, you probably made a few bucks and I think you, you probably had a cushion there that allowed you to do something autonomous and centered around baseball. But you know, you had one thing that you were passionate about. And I think at the age at which you retired, it's tough to find a new passion. It's just, right. it's, it's hard. And I think, you know, just kudos to you for taking that next step just to be autonomous and entrepreneurial and start a baseball academy. And it sounds like if there's been a constant theme throughout everything in your life, it's having confidence in yourself that you're going to do whatever it is that you do extremely well. So I just, I just want to tell yeah. you, you know, it's been a pleasure so far. We're almost done. I want to get into just kind of some details about the Luke Collier Baseball Academy. And I do want to talk about just you as a, as a parent in that dynamic, because I think it's so important for other people to hear. 
but I, I do. Sure, sure. I thank you for the time. And I want to tell you just how different and exceptional your mentality is. And I, I don't know if you, I don't think you need to hear it, but I just want to tell you authentically, it's, it's a great thing to, to interact with man. So very impressive. Thank you. Appreciate that for sure. Of course. Of course. So, so talk to me about Luke Collier baseball and then talk to me about, you know, being a, a father of three and then now being a parent to somebody who is potentially going to be a, a, another major leaguer. Yeah. Uh, so started Luke Collier baseball in 2008 and I hadn't been home for, like I said, 15 years, you know, on a regular during that time of the year, summertime. And I had been hearing, you know, while I was playing ball that, you know, baseball in the city was dying. You know, nobody was, you know, going to college, no, no, no pro guys that, you know, the game was dying out in the inner city. And I, you know, I knew how tough, you know, the city was. And for me, I've been there to the highest levels. I wanted to come back and do something, you know, for my community. So started the organization. I, you know, travel ball was happening. It was going on. I didn't know much about travel ball. So, I, you know, I'm thinking about when I play, you know, hey, some kids, you know, get some kids together, put them, put some uniforms, let's go play. Then I start hearing about his tournament ball every weekend. So I have a trial. I pretty much take every kid who shows up. So we end up forming two teams, a 10U and a 12U team. We go out and play in these various tournaments. I'm learning as I go. And we play in these games, and these teams are just beating our heads in. And I'm I'm thinking like this. I mean, it's fourteen to two in the fifth inning. They still still in bases and still. Oh, that's how they play. I'm like, okay. So it's stung, and you know we had we had some few players here and there and whatever. So long story short, I say okay. So we we by the end of the by the end of the summer we we win a couple of tournaments. We get better. So in my mind, like okay, let me turn it up a notch. So now we're training. We're starting to train in November. So we're training in November, December, January, February, March, April hit. We're going back out there. So now we got a totally different mindset team. And we're going and just ramsacking everybody to, to a point where, you know, the, the local teams, we can't even play those guys no more because there's no challenge. Right. So now we're branching out up into the suburbs and down the states, and we're challenging these these kids. But at the same time, what I'm doing is taking them out of their everyday environment, showing them that you can do something better, There's something better for you out here. And and that was the premise of what the organization was about: just waking them up and making you know hold them accountable, and have them working hard and disciplined and showing up for practice and. And all these things. And, and it was the dynamic of the parent that we had to teach too, because they hadn't never been around anything or that, anything like that. But the things that I learned that helped me be successful, I just gave it to those guys and had to lead them and kind of spoon feed them like, come on, you know, this is how we're going to do it. And to where they saw that, oh, this works. My sure. son is, he he's waking me up to bring me to practice now. He's up at six o'clock in the morning because we got practice at eight. He wants to eat because Coach Lou said, you see what I'm saying? So we changed the mindsets of the kids. I helped make them fall in love with the work and the process. And eventually they started seeing that they was getting better and winning. And so 
that's how it started and it's grown and you know it's been it's been 12 years now we've we've had over 100 kids going to college probably more than that about eight pro guys two first rounders now my son and Ed Howard that went with the Cubs a few years back so again everything that I learned that was that was that was real to me I package it up and and I give it I gave it to the kids and and you know it's no way to tell them in the beginning that this is going to be the end result mm. but in my mind I already had been through it so what what's going to be different I was an inner city kid too mm. these things work let me show you and it's just about me being you know two feet you know right there yeah going through the process with them and and just really excited about how how you know the organization has grown I mean we we started this thing talking about how you were the first one to do it in your community. And in my head, I was like, man, that's just, it was surprising. And also just such an opportunity to be a guy to trailblaze a path. And then for you, like what a selfless, but also incredibly rewarding path to choose to now go back and kind of give that experience, give that knowledge, give that perspective that isn't already offered there in those communities so that they have what you didn't have. And I think, again, just a testament to you doing it on your own without a resource like yourself. Like, I can't imagine what would have actually, I, I don't know. I think, I think you just continued to build character because you had to do it on your own, but you know, mm -hmm. to now provide all of these resources that don't exist in the community and see how that shapes these, not just the kids, but also their families. It sounds like you're making a huge impact with their parents as well. And if they have siblings, I'm sure that impacts their dynamic. It's just, yeah. I mean, amazing, man. Just just awesome, awesome stuff. So Luke Hollier Academy, how do people get involved with you if they want to reach out? You know, right now they can follow me on Instagram, Luke Hollier Baseball. A lot of information goes up there. I'm on Facebook as well. They can follow, I think I'm Lewis Collier on Facebook. I also have a website, but I haven't been interacting on in it, you know, on it. So but that's BigLeagueDreamsBaseball.com. Still working on just adding everything to that. And that's, you know, training and development. That's kind of what I'm focusing on now. I kind of moved away from the team aspect because I had to really focus on my son these last few years because he was on track to, you know, you know, become, you know, get drafted and stuff like that. So I kind of moved away from the team aspect and kind of focused more on the training and development. But down here in Georgia, the weather's great. We're doing we're doing things every weekend. Every weekend we're doing some type of baseball, something. And ironic enough is me and Marquise Grissom all working together down here. So Oh, that's amazing. Um, get, so you and Marquise Grissom, have you guys kept in touch just ever since year three with the Brewers? Or is this something where you guys reconnected later on in life to 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 work together? Yeah, we we stayed pretty connected. He moved, you know, when I was with the Brewers. I played a third year that he had got traded to, I believe the Giants and then the Dodgers, but we would cross paths in spring training. We stayed connected throughout those years. And he's one of the main reasons why I moved down here because he has an organization as well. He knew what I was doing in Chicago. He knew that I had a son that was pretty good. He said, hey, man, if you can get down here, I got you. And I said, you know what? I'm going to figure that out. I'm going to figure that out. So We've been connected, man. We've been doing Amazing. some great things down here. That's my buddy right there. That's beautiful. I mean, look, I think that's a good note to to wrap up on. I think a good good segue into, you know, happily ever after in, in, in the rest of your life. But look, man, 
again, truly a pleasure to A, to meet you and B, to have the opportunity to learn more about you and to, and to get connected, man. I'm sure we're going to stay in touch for, for a while now. Oh yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate you having me. All right. Take care. That should do it. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to share with a friend, family member, colleague, or just listen to it over and over again. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. It's at postgamepodcast underscore. Or if you really have nothing to do, you can feel free to follow my personal Instagram. It's at Jonathan Weislow. Until next time, this has been the Postgame Podcast.